Yeah. Hi. So this week on the podcast we have Hannah from hashtag Do I Look Autistic Yet? That's an interesting hashtag. Oh. Um. And uh, this is an interesting. This cat. is an interesting cat, Luna. Come on. Yeah, so yes, that was Luna. Obviously wanted to get in on the, the pre and post amble. So when I found out that we were getting uh, Hannah from hashtag do I look autistic yet, I thought, oh, this is interesting because it's one of those things that, oh, we've heard of that hashtag. I see that flying around all the time, so I'm quite interested. I haven't to... heard of it, but it seems quite interesting. Yes, I'm quite looking forward to listening to this one. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit tired, but I'm so excited to listen to it. Awesome. What else have we got on this week before we listen to this? Uh, well, hope everyone's had a lovely Halloween. We hope everyone's happy going back to school. And bonfire night's been okay for people. Um, what have you not, been... Not here, the dogs have been terrified. Yes, dogs have been terrified. Jamie has been to a play expo and dressed up as Metal Sonic. Yes. And that was awesome. Best day of your life, did you say? Maybe. It's Maybe best day of your life. So, yeah, so we're going to have a listen now to this podcast. I don't know what I'm doing with my eyes. And we'll be back soon. And scaring people. Ooh. We'll be back soon, won't we? <laughs> this is as close to go- as I'm going to get to Halloween, so Halloween spooky eye. See ya. We love Annette and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, screaming out of pure frustration, chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory matters. You know what? Right. Hi, everyone. It's Jenny here again uh, with another Sensory Matters show. And today I am chatting to Hannah. And Hannah is the person behind the hashtag, which has all gone a bit mental, um, which is Do I Look Autistic Yet? Um, which is just awesome. And last time I checked, well, I when, when I first heard about you, who I heard about you through Tracy, Aspie Cat, um, and then found you. And I think it was maybe about 3,600 tags at that point, and that was only last week. And then it's this week... It's 4,000. Yeah, we're over 4,000 now. <laughs> That's amazing. You must be dead chuffed. I am. It was um, a year ago on September the 4th that I started it. So it kind of blew up then because I was like, ah, it's been a whole year. So, yeah, no, I'm really happy that we got to 4,000 for the anniversary. That's fantastic. Really yeah. good. Um, so let's go right back to the beginning and we'll tell your story and then how you've become to be this kind of, I suppose, a bit of an activist, really, in terms of um, changing people's perceptions of autism. So you are currently 25? I. 26. I turned 26 in August. Okay. And so you were diagnosed when you were 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So quite late, really. Mm-hmm. So, and from articles and things I've read about you, you felt like you were a bit palmed off on a few occasions? Yeah. Well, my mum tried to get me diagnosed when I was a small child. Okay. Um, and basically, I was her firstborn child and she, she got told, oh, you're overreacting, like, you know kind of over exaggerating mother kind of thing mm-hmm. and you know you're jumping on the bandwagon you're trying to be trendy almost like don't get a label don't bother about it so mum kind of was like oh all right then obviously I'm overreacting like there's nothing wrong with her it's fine um and then during my GCSEs I really really struggled I mean I struggled before then but I think 
like moments of stress highlighted my struggles more so that was the thing and then when I was learning to drive as well and every time I went to the doctor they just kind of said oh you've got anxiety you've got depression you've got an eating disorder this kind of thing you know um and anything but actually giving me a referral and getting to the bottom of the problems wow so why why do you think that's the case is it that they just are not very good at recognizing it or um I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm a girl I think Uh if I was a boy they wouldn't have been so quick to jump on the kind of eating disorder route because that was when I was like late teens, early 20s. And I had a massive change. I moved to a different city away from everybody that I knew. And um, it wasn't a case of me restricting my diet to lose weight or restricting my diet to um, you know, achieve a certain look. It was just the stress that I couldn't cope with functioning. Yeah. And I kept trying to say, like, you know, all my problems, they're not because, again, food is quite a sensory thing for me anyway. So I have never been good at eating like a vast kind of variety of food. Mm. Uh, My diet's quite restricted. So when I panic, it's just kind of like, right, I'm going to eat just pasta by itself. And so they just kind of said, right, you're, you know, you're anorexic or you've got a, you know, an eating disorder. I think if I'd have been a boy, they'd probably have said that maybe that was to do with the autism because they'd have looked at the behaviour differently. I don't know. Um, I think the other thing is they are undereducated. Um, I got told in one appointment I couldn't be autistic because I'd booked the appointment myself. Wow. I'd, I'd booked the doctor's appointment and I was a, I went by myself. I was a girl and he said, and you made eye contact and you came in and you told me that you thought you're autistic, so you can't be. Uh-huh. Okay. Wow. It just mm. highlights, doesn't it, how much e- even in in that profession, how little knowledge there can be. I mean, that's a sweeping generalisation because I'm sure there are plenty of others who are well versed in it. But a lot of people experience exactly what you've said. Um, yeah. So how how did you eventually get their attention and eventually get a diagnosis? Well, um, I tried again um, for the final time when I was twenty. 23 um and the doctor basically was like oh well you've got to 23 so you like don't worry about it kind of thing even if you are don't worry so um I paid for a private diagnosis okay um and she was kind of like obviously you're autistic like what what the hell are the doctors saying obviously you're autistic and then um I took that private diagnosis to my GP and they were like, oh, we can't accept this. Like, you've got to go for it again. So I did an NHS diagnosis. And once I got to the people that actually knew what they were doing, like the um, autism department, mm, yeah, I, they were kind of like, why did she not refer you before? Like, everything you've said, because they obviously had full access to the report that I'd paid for. And I tried to get information from the doctor's previous things that I've said. And they're kind of like, yeah, we agree. So I've, I've actually got two diagnoses. Mm. <laughs> so what, what, why, why, the, why the dogged pursuit of getting a diagnosis? Because you could, many people would have gone through what you've gone and then just gone, you know, kind of given up getting it. Um, I think it was a combination of um, where I was in my life at the time. I was very upset felt very lonely and I needed answers for why I was the way I was I wasn't happy being labeled as having an eating disorder either like that really messed with me um and the same about like the anxiety and the depression I am anxious but it's not because of 
you know, having anxiety, it's because I'm autistic. Um, The other thing is I was um, struggling quite a bit with um, my wisdom teeth and I was having surgery to take them out. And I, they were like, oh, you need to go to your dentist and have it done. But I really wanted to be like knocked under because I was so scared of anyone touching me. So that was another thing. If I had an autism diagnosis, then they would have they they well they did in the the end they um they knocked me out for the surgery so I didn't have to be awake right so that was that was part of it as well um I didn't didn't want to have that done <laughs> yeah okay so now you've you've got the diagnosis does it feel like a good thing to have done are you pleased you've got it I would go for it all again definitely um I haven't had much support afterwards like from the NHS or anything like that. But I think the support that I've had from the community and people that I've met um, online and in real life who've gone through the same thing is invaluable, really. So, yeah, I would I definitely go for and do it, do it all again. OK. And then having a look, because obviously autism is absolutely different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it that your mum saw in you when you were younger that made her think about taking you for a diagnosis? Um, when I was a baby, um, she couldn't put me down and couldn't leave me alone. Like I would just co- constantly scream and scream and scream. Um, I was really fussy with like eating. I didn't sleep. Um, and then she, I was, like I said, I was her firstborn and she kind of thought, oh, maybe this is just babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when she had my sister a couple years later and Abby slept, Abby ate food, Abby was able to be left alone. And I'm like a two-year-old still like, please don't leave me alone in a room by myself. She realised there was obviously something different with one of us um, than the other. And I guess because I was the one that was screaming and crying, it was me that was the almost like the odd one out compared to my sister. Okay. And and for you as as an adult now with autism, what are your, what are your traits? Um, I don't, I'm really fussy with like my sensory thing. Like I said, um, I don't like really bright lights. I don't like really loud noises. Um, certain smells and textures I really hate. Um, like f- certain fabrics I can't wear. Um, I'm hypersensitive to like tastes and stuff as well. I guess. Um, so a lot of it is like sensory, and I get overloaded quite easily if I'm outside and I'm not in control of the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a social aspect as well. Like I really don't understand sarcasm very well. Um, like I was at my friend's house last night and his dad said something sarcastic and it took me like a good couple minutes. And then I was like, Oh my God, actually I got it this time. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I do struggle. I take everything people say like quite literally. And so like, I guess that's why I've struggled socially, especially being a girl, because girls say so much with their kind of, I don't know, their body language and their tone of voice that I wouldn't pick up on. So they'd say things like, oh, I really like your dress. I can really see what you're trying to do there. And I'd be like, oh, thanks, hon. Like, that's a really nice compliment. But actually, they were being mean. And I'd never pick up on stuff like that. So I'd always be, like, in a group of friends, but I never had, like, a best friend. And I'd kind of get invited to stuff for a little bit and then they'd think I was a bit odd and stop inviting me and I'd move on to like a different friendship group. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of like went from group of people to group of people. Um, I've always gotten better with boys than girls as well because I just think that boys tend to be more straightforward Mm -hmm. like, and they say what they mean rather than girls, which, like I said, can just be so 
so complicated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So do you have memories of being at school and feeling like uh, uh, you didn't quite fit? Yeah, I mean, I remember um, lunch times where I just walked around by myself because I literally didn't know what else to do um mm. and I I didn't have any friends to go and sit with so I literally just walked around the school um and wouldn't stop walking until it was time to go back to my lessons because I had no idea you know how to even approach a group of people and make friends properly um I remember almost feeling like left out of conversation even though I was a part of it because I wouldn't really understand what was going on and I'd be trying to join in but like they were laughing at me, not with me, and I couldn't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess people as well would just kind of say things that at the time I thought were nice, but looking back and knowing now what I know, I realised they were being mean. Yeah. And so how how does that affect your own self-worth and self-esteem when that sort of stuff surrounds you? Well, now that I have an explanation, like, I feel a lot better because I feel like, actually, it's not my fault. Obviously, it's not their fault either. I am I am a bit quirky. I'm a bit strange. I'm a bit eccentric and odd. So from their point of view, they're kind of like, what is this girl doing? Like, <laughs> so they, they obviously react to me and they didn't understand. Um, but at the time, I felt really, really bad because I just didn't know why I didn't fit in. I had no reason. I was trying my best and I thought that I was you know, doing my best to fit in and even that wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So at the time it was really bad, but now I'm I'm kind of at peace with it. That's good. And that, I guess diagnosis has given you that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I just think I, I couldn't have done anything differently. They weren't picking on me for anything other than me just being a bit different and that's no one's fault now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you said that around about the time of your GCSEs, things got particularly hard. What was it that made that hard? Um, I think I was just so stressed over my exams, like like everybody is at that age. Um, but whereas, like most sixteen-year-olds going out and you know spending time with their friends and they've got that kind of release I didn't have that same kind of thing I mean I I did go out with people but like I said I it was so much hard work for me to socialize Mm -hmm. that I'd end up burning myself out like people would go out and have fun and that would be their like downtime and their relaxed time but for me that was in some ways more stressful than the academic work yeah yeah. So do you find a lot of people that I've, I've been talking to find that after a social engagement, that's you just completely washed out? It's like too much effort. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the engagement. Like I've got um, at the moment, I feel like I've got quite a close group of friends and I'm really, really lucky that they understand me. And if I've had enough, they'll just let me be me and they'll support me. But if we're like going out for the day and socialising outside of the houses, mm then yeah like we went to to a trip to Ikea and it was really fun like we had a really good day but afterwards I just came home and I was like I just need to sleep yeah like all we'd done is look around furniture but it was really stressful because there was loads of noise there were loads of other people obviously the lighting in there is crazy because it's all like you know advertising the furniture and the lamps and stuff so afterwards I was just like I'm just gonna lie down Mm. chill out (laughs) 
So what what have you learned now as an adult who's accepted your autism? You've got that diagnosis and you obviously still day to day have challenges that you have to be able to have a, a strategy for. So what are the strategies that you put in place to allow you to cope in the neurotypical world? The main thing is... Um, I try not to go out by myself because if I go out by myself, that's when I end up spending three hours doing something that only takes 20 minutes because I end up panicking or just dissociating and getting distracted. So I try and take someone with me who I trust. Um, uh, music's a big thing. I, if I'm going out by myself, or even sometimes when I am with somebody, um, I put loud music on so that that's what I can hear instead of anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I wear sunglasses even when it's not like really, really sunny because it can, even the brightness around can just make me feel a bit funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try and only do what I'm capable of. Like some people go to town and they like buy a billion things and they get everything, all their chores done all in one day. And I'm like, actually, I might just do one thing and that's all right. <laughs> so I try just try and like be kind to myself yeah. and drink coffee, have coffee breaks. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So where where did this Do I Look Autistic Yet come from? How did that spark? Well, when I've, obviously, I've, I guess most people who are diagnosed as children have the kind of diagnosis and they're aware of it and they can tell people in their lives as and when they meet them. Mm. Whereas I had the kind of, oh, I need to tell, like, not literally everybody but I guess like my family and close friends like I need to tell these people uh, this thing about me that I've I've just discovered um and obviously there were some people I was thinking do I tell them or do I not tell them and there were other people that I definitely had to tell even though I didn't want to like relatives and stuff and I just got so fed up with hearing things like oh but you don't look autistic or like oh really are you sure and I'm like I've just had two people tell me of course I'm sure (laughs) I wouldn't be telling you if I wasn't sure like this isn't like you know I get to have fun or anything like that this is something serious and something you know that's making me quite nervous you know I'm not doing it for a laugh and you're there then questioning me mm-hmm. making it worse that isn't the reaction that I wanted and I mean it was people like everybody not just like a certain group or anything like that and I just thought like literally like the journey that I'd been on to get the diagnosis first and then the reaction that I had when I told people I was like people know nothing about this mm-hmm. and there must be so many more people like me that are just frustrated and it just got a bit of a joke and like with my friends now as well like I'll do something that's kind of typically autistic looking like I'll flap my hands or I'll like trip up or something and they're like oh you look autistic now Han like that's <laughs> that's it you look autistic now and it's it was just kind of came from there really because I kept being like well do I look autistic yet what do you want me to do do you want me to get it tattooed on my face like should I wear a badge what do you want like how do I look autistic yeah so it just yeah just kind of came from there but it's really, really resonated with people, hasn't it? Yeah, well, when I first started it, I kind of thought, because um, I'd been using Instagram and Tumblr and Facebook to try and meet other autistic people because you look online and you get stuff from a charity that I'm not even going to say the name because it causes so much drama. And you get stuff like that that's like autism is all doom and gloom and all this kind of thing. And I was like, oh my God, like my life's over. What am I going to do? Even though obviously it wasn't, it it was just the panic and the information out there was just completely rubbish. So I thought I want to speak to people who are actually like me and know what it's like rather than reading a 
bunch of rubbish on the internet. Hmm. So I looked at hashtags on Instagram and I found a few people on there, like Tracy, who you spoke to, um, and a few other like um, girls that I'm quite close friends with now online. Um, and I just thought, I want to bring people together who've had the same kind of feeling as me, because everyone I spoke to was saying the same thing, like, yeah, we just want to meet people. We just want to, you know, share our experiences. We just want to be able to get on in life and, you know, not be hassled by people and not be made to act a certain way and not be made to act neurotypical. So that's when I decided that I was going to make my own hashtag to to meet people and I literally can't believe that it's been 4,000 posts. Amazing. I thought I'd maybe get like 100. I remember getting 100. I was like, ah, it's about 100 posts. <laughs> and now it's just, it's just mental, really It's just mental. amazing. But what, I, what I've really been thinking about with this is everyone goes on about autism, autism awareness. And I keep thinking, actually, if, if you compare it now to 10 years ago, we're fighting the good fight. Autism awareness is pretty up there I think I think most people if you stopped anyone in the street and say have you ever heard of autism and they go oh yeah absolutely and they might roughly be able to describe what it is what I think we're fighting now and what your hashtag does is autism understanding and I think yep. that's the difference um I think you know most people are versed in autism but they don't they don't get it and it's this idea that it's it's got a look people obviously think it has a look yeah I mean I've been told like ridiculous stuff like oh but you're too pretty to be autistic and I'm like what <laughs> like what has that got to do with anything or you know they're like oh I thought you'd be flapping your hands don't autistic people flap their hands and I'm like you've met me for like five minutes Mm-hmm. How do you know what I do? Like, and again, because I spent so much of my life trying to fit in and trying to do what was expected of me, I think I lost a lot of traits that I would have had, you know, in public. And they're things that I suppress and they're things that, like, I end up doing in private and things I end up doing you know, when I'm really, really bad and end up having like a proper full on meltdown because I'm suppressing the urge to do stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Now that I've got the diagnosis, like I'm much better. And if I just want to sit on the sofa and make a stupid random noise for the sake of it, everyone who will be on the sofa understands what I'm doing. They know that I'm not strange. They know that I'm not weird. They know that I'm just kind of trying to cope with my environment. Yeah. But in the past, I'd have been like, I can't do that. Like, I'm so weird. I can't, what am I doing? Like, I can't, you know, even now I'm like moving my hands lots and I'd be trying to stop that. And I'd be thinking, right, sit on your hands. Don't move your hands around because it's drawing attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe I might look a bit more autistic if I'd have been diagnosed earlier. Who knows? Who knows? But then isn't that also something that is common in girls, the whole masking thing and the whole trying to fit in? And and if, if you, you know, do that for, well, decades, then you've almost trained yourself to behave like that all the time, haven't you? Even though it's burning inside of you that you want to let it out sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I know um, I've got a really close friend who I met online as well, Kieran, and he was diagnosed as an adult. And we've had the same conversation that, yeah, we have literally spent our whole lives trying not to be autistic because we thought that we you know, didn't know we were autistic. We thought there was something wrong with us. Mm. And now we've just spent so much time masking. We're like, well, what's the mask and what, what is us yes. and what's real? Like, And it's really, really hard to differentiate between 
myself mm-hmm. and who I am trying to be to impress other people. And it's really difficult to know where the boundary between those two personas ends. Yes, because one of the things that I, I find hard to understand as a neurotypical person is I think everybody in the world masks to a certain extent. You change yourself for every environment. You know, if I'm talking to my kids' teachers or my mum or my husband or a friend that I, I really like versus a friend that I'm not as comfortable with, you, you adapt and you change. And it's where that that is... Um, behavior that I think everybody does so at what point does that change to like proper masking that is hiding like uh, I guess they're more kind of things that you have to do to regulate yourself rather than you choose to adapt to present yourself in a certain way to a certain person I think as well with like what you've just described that's absolutely right I think everyone does do it um but like you said you'll do it for a conversation with a certain person but I'm doing it all the time and I think that's like a big difference because I bet if you tried to speak to everybody the way that you spoke to your kid's teacher for example for a week you'd be completely exhausted by the end of the week and I think that's like the main difference that we can't turn it off until we are literally in our safe space. And some people can't even do it in their safe space because their parents or their family or their friends, whoever they live with, might not accept them either. So there's some people which literally do it 24-7, yeah. which is just completely exhausting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That does make sense. Um, one one of the things on the um, I don't look autistic yet that I was going to ask is... Um, are people saying it because they're trying to be nice in a perverse way? I think some people, this is the thing, but I don't really read motives very well, like I said. I think some people genuinely do mean it nice, like, oh, but you don't look like there's anything wrong with you. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's, but in a way, that's also bad because it makes it sound like, oh, well, at least you haven't got a disability that people can see. Yes. Which, which then upsets me because, like, obviously, there's other people in the like the wider disabled community, and I don't think it's fair that you can say that. Oh, at least, at least you look all right. You know, think about her over there. That's you know, got you can see that she's disabled, and that's that's really bad because I think in terms of the disa- the wider disabled community, we've all got to kind of stick up for each other. You know, there's people with hidden disabilities that want to use disabled toilets that can't. There's people with visible disabilities that just get completely ignored or get spoken to like their children because you can see they're disabled so yeah I think it's a problem for the wider community that kind of attitude and I know that people are trying to be nice but they don't realize how offensive it is not just to me as an autistic person but to somebody else with a you know a more visible disability so what's the solution how do how do we how do we change it I think we've just got to be honest I mean the thing is, like I said, we spend so much of our time masking and pretending to be what we think people want us to be. Um, I think if I actually sat down and had a conversation with these people and said, look, this is what my life's really like, they'd think twice before they said stuff like that. Just because I look calm on the outside doesn't mean they know what's going on inside my head or inside my chest or anything like that. So what's the what's the solution? I think the solution is that we have to, as autistic people, be more open and honest about what it's like to be autistic. Um, 
it's really difficult because our community, if you turn around and say, right, we need to start talking, we need to start speaking to people. Everyone's like, ah, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Not socialising, what are you talking about? Um, but I think that's the only way that we're going to be able to show neurotypical people what it's really like because mm. they see me and they see what I want them to see you know my outward persona I'm usually quite calm even if inside I'm completely freaking out they can't see inside my head so they're not going to see what's going on because that's that's where my difference is it's in my brain so I think the more we talk about it and the more honest we are the more people are going to understand us and take us seriously and not think oh you know they're fine you know they look fine so they must be fine I think if you know the people that I have opened up to and that I have spoken to and explained my difficulties to have all been like a hundred percent more supportive and accepting once they've understood what's Mm. actually going on and they don't think oh she's just being completely crazy and you know crying in the middle of Ikea if I explain that there's lots of noise going on, it's bright lights, it smells funny because there's loads of food, there's people near me who I don't like and they're going to touch me, then they understand why I'm crying and they help me out of the situation rather than looking at me like, why is she crying? All we're doing is shopping for furniture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if if you could give, if you could talk to someone you've never spoken to before and explain a day in a life, if you like, the challenges that you face, what it's like living with this hidden disability. How would you how would you explain it so that they could see into your head? I think it depends on the day. If I was just talking about a normal typical day for me, everything's got to be meticulously planned. The problem is um, I feel like I'm out of control of so much of my life because I'm walking down the street and if I hear a loud noise, then it could really trigger me and make me feel really anxious and scared and upset. So if I can control six other things that day that I know are going to go how I want them to, it's going to make that one unexpected thing have less of an impact because I've controlled so much already. So if that means I've got to eat eat the same food at the same time every single day that's what I've got to do if that means I've got to wear an outfit which looks completely mental but feels nice to wear then that's what I've got to do um I think it I would use the analogy that we did earlier that if you (coughs) have to you know put on a persona constantly for a whole week see how much energy you use up doing that if you have to speak to everybody in you know in your kind of maybe your telephone voice or like your work persona, you'd be completely exhausted. And I think also I'd explain about the sensory stuff. Like if anyone's ever had a migraine, I can only really explain that, you know, after you've had a migraine, everything feels like really bright and loud and horrible. Yeah. But like, that's my everyday. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I think in a nutshell, that's, I could go on and talk about it forever though. This is the problem. That's the autism. (laughs) (laughs) And am I right? And did I read somewhere that you used to be, or maybe you still do, um, a model? Yeah, um, I don't do it like anywhere near enough to be a model full time, like as my job. But I do it part time, um, and yeah, it's 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 a good release. I think it's the only time that I'm still. <laughs> oh, wow! So how did that come about? Did you get spotted um, or? Well, my sister actually is an art student. Um, right. Well, she's not now. She she was an art student. She did um, an, a fine art degree. Right. And I got into it through her. She was showing some of her work at a gallery and um, just got chatting to some of the photographers and some of the artists there and got into it that way. Wow. Yeah. 
So do you do any other work as well as modelling? Um, I'm a dispensing optician as well. Um, so like I wouldn't test your eyes. I'm unfortunately not that qualified, but I'm like the person that you get to see afterwards if you need glasses. Right. Okay. Enjoy yeah. it. Most of the time. Um, my favourite thing is actually being in the lab away from all the people, like making the glasses and doing all the repairs and stuff. But yeah, no, I enjoy it mostly. And do your employers know that you're autistic? Um, well, I'm actually self-employed. Okay. Um, so I do it on a locum basis. And, um, but most of the people I work with know, um, especially because I was at one practice and I got a phone call from Sky News asking me to go on Sky News. And I was like completely freaking out. And they're like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm going on Sky News tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> and they're like, why? Are you all right? What's happened? So I was like, oh yeah, I'm autistic. And then they're kind of like, what? What's that got to do with going on Sky News? <laughs> but um, yeah, so... They, most most people know. I mean, it's on my Facebook. It's yeah. it's on all of my social media. Um, I've got quite an unusual name, so if you just type me into Google, it it kind of all comes up. So I don't I don't hide it. I'm quite open about no. it. And I guess that as well possibly helps you being at work if people are aware of it and and can do things to help. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think part of it makes me actually quite good at my job as well um, because a lot of it is kind of maths and visualizing what a lens is going to look like once it's been cut down into a frame and things like that um and you know problem solving trying to do like lots of fiddly little repairs and stuff um and I think an autistic brain is quite suited to the kind of work that I do so I think it helps right okay and you're married um <laughs> I was married um well I'm getting divorced right now um yeah it's partly because of the whole kind of autism thing um yeah it's just, it's a difficult one but it's it's all for the better um the house is getting sold and stuff so literally in about six weeks I'll be divorced wow because I I'm completely read your email wrong I thought I thought because when you said I said oh I need some articles on you and stuff and and you said don't don't forget to use my maiden name um which I, I did go and do um I'm married and I don't I thought you wrote I don't plan on getting divorced anytime soon but maybe oh you no it was we're getting it was we're getting divorced so basically yeah everything was under my married name but now it's under my maiden name because always for work I've use my maiden name because that's been it's easier than changing over all my professional registration so um but yeah I've gone back to that yeah no it's okay though it's fine so if you don't mind me asking is it is it your diagnosis that has has been the trigger for it or um partly I mean he's he always thought that there was something like wrong with me I guess Mm. um and he was the one that kind of pushed me to go in go to the doctors when I got diagnosed with the eating disorder and all like some of the anxiety stuff as well Mm. um and then I mean he kept pushing and pushing like as well wanting to find out what was going on because I was having constant meltdowns I'd get violent I mean not not really like towards him but towards myself like I'd bang my head or I'd self-harm which I can understand from an outsider's point of view that must be distressing to watch like I, I completely get that yeah um so he was the one that kind of pushed me to find out what was wrong with me, if that makes sense. But then when I found out what was wrong with me, he wasn't really up for doing the hard work of helping afterwards, which again, like my parents have, I know a lot of my friends, um, I'm really lucky they've done loads of research and they've 
they've also accepted it and tried to learn more about it. But um, yeah, he just he just was a bit reluctant, I guess, to yeah. to kind of go forward with it. Um, and I can understand. I mean, it must be quite daunting, like thinking that, you know, I guess almost like he thought I was going to be like better once he knew what was wrong with me. And because it didn't fix me, it kind of made me kind of go the other way. Like I was like, oh, I'm autistic. So do you know what? I'm not going to do all this anymore. I'm not going to pretend to be this. I'm not going to pretend to be that. And I think that was quite scary for him as well, yeah. which, yeah, I do. I do understand. But at the same time, like I needed to do what I needed to do for myself. Like the whole point of me getting a diagnosis was because I was struggling with life and I wasn't coping. There's no point getting a diagnosis and going, oh, well, I know what's wrong, but I'm just going to stay going as I am. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, it's unfortunate and, you know, it's one of those things that isn't very pleasant in life, but I think if I can get through this, then I can get through anything, so it's okay. Yeah, and and in actual thank, in some ways you've got you've got him to thank for pushing you to the point of getting a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we didn't have so many rows and so many arguments, I don't think I'd have I don't think I'd have gone gone and got it done. Yeah. Um it was a massive problem in the relationship my behavior um or you know misbehavior i guess mm. um so oh yeah i'm i'm at peace with it though as well so it's okay good and do, do you think was did you after you got married relax more and show yourself more and it was a shock to him was it had you masked it and then yeah i mean that that was part of it also i think um just because we lived with my parents like so although we lived together he didn't really have all the responsibility of me if that makes sense like my parents still did a lot for me um and although we'd lived for 18 months in a different city whilst he was at uni um again he he was at uni and I was at work all the time and we'd end up not seeing each other because I was working every hour under the sun so that we could afford to live there and he was obviously during the week going to university so it was a bit of a strange dynamic and then when we moved back to mum and dad's mum and dad like did everything for me Mm. um and he was just kind of like you know chilling along having all the nice bits and they Mm. were dealing with all the drama when we got married and we got a mortgage, all of a sudden um, he had all that responsibility of what the reality of being with me is like. I always said, like, he likes the idea of me and not the reality of me, which is unfortunate. Okay. And how does that make you feel for the future? Are, like, future relationships off the cards for you or would you consider it again in the future? Would you do anything differently? I'm not sure. This is a really difficult one because I'm still coming to terms with that myself. Like, Mm -hmm. as much as I would love to find somebody who could completely understand me and completely embrace the whole autism thing, I don't know whether or not it's actually possible. Like, I don't know if... I think another autistic person, it would be really, really difficult because our autism would have to like properly match up or it'd be a nightmare. Like imagine if I'm there, like I don't like bright lights and he's there like, oh yeah, all the lights, all of them. (laughs) And I'm there like, I only eat plain pasta and he's there like, I only eat spicy food. Like, you know, our autism would have to be like exactly the same or it'd be a complete nightmare. And then I think it's almost unfair to 
a neurotypical person to kind of put them through all my drama, like, and all of the stuff that comes with being with me if they don't completely understand. And I mean, if I get someone, if, you know, I might find someone who does really want to learn about it and does want to embrace it and all that kind of stuff. But it's difficult because I'm just thinking like, at what point do I tell someone? Like if I go on a date with someone, do I tell them then and go, I'm autistic? Like, <laughs> and then risk the possibility of them not going on a second date with me? Or do we get like six months into it and then I go, oh, I'm autistic. And then they're like, oh, sorry, like I'm, I'm not down for that. See you later. <laughs> like it's it's such a minefield and I've like I said I've got lots of friends that I've met online and one girl who's been mentioning it recently and I was literally like I've never even thought of this like because obviously the divorce is still going through mm. it's not really on the cards right now no. I'm like what's like what do I do like what what is gonna happen yeah so I don't know I honestly don't know. Perhaps mm. I'll be lucky and find an autistic lad that's exactly the same as me. Yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> Have you read um, Laura James's book? No, I haven't. Oh, no. read that. Odd Girl Out. She was diagnosed like age 43 um, and it's it's her story. And so she's obviously, she's still with her husband, but married her husband's well, she got actually got divorced very young um, and then remarried this guy and has been with them since, but obviously only got diagnosed later in life. And it's just wonderful. It's a good book. Read it. I'll really good. In fact, she's, she's on the podcast. So, yeah, I, I think it's something that's not spoken about is, is e even from a touching point of view, mm. must be very difficult, I've always thought. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm a bit of a strange person as well with things like that. Like people who I don't know or people who I don't know very well or don't like are not allowed to touch me at all. Like if I fell over in the street and someone tried to help me up, I would not react to that very well whatsoever. That would be like my worst nightmare. Okay. But then people who I am really close to... Um, it's like a switch and I'm like, I want to be like as close to them as I possibly can get. Right. And um, it's a bit of, again, it's a bit of a running joke with me and my friends um, that I can be a bit much. Okay. Because everyone always says, oh, I like Hannah, but but she's a bit much, isn't she? <laughs> she's, a, she's a bit too much. And like my best friend, um, he is amazing. Um, he's, I've known him since I was about, 11 or 12 um and he's gay and he's my gay bff but constantly i'm like sat on his lap giving him a cuddle and he's just he puts up with it and i'm really lucky but yeah because a lot of people would be kind of like why is this girl sat on me like what is she doing <laughs> yeah. but he he understands and he knows that it's like a sign of affection mm -hmm. um and he knows that he's like one of the lucky people that i that i'm allowed to that are allowed to touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, I think we've been talking for quite a while and it's been absolutely fascinating. So before we finish up, um, what would be your one thing you wish the world knew about autism and um, any kind of parting message for the world, really? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, I guess I wish the world knew that it doesn't need to be cured Obviously, people who have comorbid disorders and other things like that, and people who have, I don't like functioning labels, but people who have kind of more 
classic autism and things like that, even they don't need to be cured. They're just different and everyone should just be allowed to be who they are and should be supported rather than trying to be cured. That's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want a cure. I think if you spoke to about 99% of autistic people, they would feel the same way based on polls and things that I've seen in groups on Facebook. Um, So that would be, yeah, that would be one thing that there's nothing that is kind of wrong with me it's the way that the world is just not designed for me and I think that's the way we need to be looking at it rather than looking at it as something in me that's bad it's just that I you know the world's not designed for me yeah um as a parting message I guess I just want to say thank you to everybody who is joined in on my hashtag because 4,000 posts in one year is just amazing especially considering I've only been part of the community, you know, for, I was only just 23. I'm sorry, I was was nearly 24. So it's kind of two years, really. Um, It was July, 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've all just made me feel really welcome. And yeah, I feel like I found my people, which is good. Yeah, it is is a fast community. I love, I love the community. Um, So all that remains for me to say is thank you very, very much. And please, everyone, let's get the 4,000 to 8,000. Let's do yes, that in please. six months, not not another year. So that would that, be incredible. Yeah. So the hashtag is do I look autistic yet? And you can I've seen loads of the posts and they're all brilliant and yeah, the the so use it at will, definitely. Um and if people wanted to follow you, obviously what what's your Instagram page? Because that's just the hashtag. Um, it's the same. It's at do I look autistic yet? So it's the same the same thing. Um, I have a personal account which is linked to it that if you want to just find out about my everyday life, which is usually just selfies and dogs, <laughs> you can you can look there. But um, at do I look autistic yet is the main account. Um, I haven't done it in a while because um, I've kind of been letting people have their own voice for a bit. But I did used to reblog like a lot of the photos and share the photos again. Yeah. Um, but I think. Yeah, it's nice just to see what people have to say for themselves, really, rather than have them message me the photos. So I'd obviously, if you want to message me photos, I'll happily reblog them. But I'd prefer if you did it off your own accounts and you had your own voices, too. Brilliant. OK, well, thank you very, very much. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for being so open and honest. No, thanks for having me. OK, thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah. So what did you think of that then? I hate that you can't be autistic because you're a girl. That's so dumb. Yeah. So it's like when they said you couldn't be autistic because you're you're a grown up. That's not how things work. Well, that's the thing that that um they also said that she couldn't be autistic because she showed emotion and that she referred us as, as, as she made her own appointment to go to the doctors. Like how ridiculous is that? But like, so yes, yeah, so this is just another example of <laughs> somebody. It's so silly. Yeah, some but somebody's missed out on a childhood diagnosis I know that could have helped them and it's just so frustrating isn't it? it it's funny to laugh at them out of context but in context it's very sad yeah so at least um, finally Hannah did get diagnosed but yeah it's just I'm glad I managed to get a childhood diagnosis yeah me too it's just when they wait they, you got a childhood diagnosis no I'm glad that you got a childhood diagnosis that you wish you got a childhood diagnosis but just think of all the people that are misdiagnosed so like they said that she had an eating disorder uh, I know so many people have been told they've got eating disorders, but really it's food textures or things like that. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that podcast. Uh, sorry, there's the phone going off. Um, <laughs> really enjoyed that. Daddy, <laughs> did you forget we were doing um, our post-anvil? 
he he nodded his head yes. yes. So yes, so that was a really interesting podcast and just much of and the a, same and a very interesting daddy. Yeah, but much of the same of what we keep hearing, which yeah. is such a shame. And if you didn't listen to Figs already, um, they were on a couple of weeks ago. That was Vicky from Figs, amazing podcast about fighting inequality for girls on the autism spectrum. Okay. Until we listen to that one, yeah. I I forget all these podcasts because <laughs> I listen to them like once a week, like you, all of you guys, yeah. and um, I just forget them all. But if you want to listen to them, you can find them on iTunes, you can find them on Stitcher, and they're on Spotify. I can vaguely remember my own, but that's because I can remember the you words did it. I've said. Right, so we'll see you again next week for another amazing podcast. Bye. See ya. You know what?